0: Hello, I'm Ed Needham, editor of the fabulous literary magazine Strong Words, and this is my podcast, The Five Rules of Writing. In each episode, I speak to a most excellent writer in a particular genre about how they do it. And if you'd like to know more about Strong Words, and specifically how to subscribe, go to www.strong-words.co.uk and you'll be whisked straight to the website. Hello and welcome to the five rules of writing brought to you by Strong Words Magazine. If you'd like to find out more about Strong Words and think you'd like to subscribe, take a look at the website that's strong words.co.uk. Don't forget the hyphen. Now, this is a podcast where I talk to writers about the five things they know to be true in writing whatever it is that they write for a living. So, whether they spend their days writing angry political essays or poetry about woodland creatures. There are some aspects of their work that are absolutely non-negotiable now today i'm very excited to be talking to a guest who is a journalist a novelist whose highly accomplished debut is called the dictator's wife this is a book set in 1993 in a country called Yanusia, which is a small eastern european fragment that has lost its communist strongman but his formidable wife remains holed up in the presidential palace awaiting trial for the crimes of her husband's years of rule Crimes which include torture, disappearances, and using the treasury as their piggy bank. And to be found guilty would mean the death penalty, and a team of top London lawyers has been hired to defend her, including the novel's protagonist, a young woman who was born in Janusia, but whose parents fled to London when she was small. So we have the dictator's wife, who is called Maria Popa, Pop, sorry, Popa. A portrait in chilly power, dressed in red couture, still able to terrify with a glance, and who insists she knew nothing of her husband's activities, a stance which everything about her demeanour suggests is an absurd assertion. And we have our young lawyer, whose name is Laura Lazarescu, who is torn between doing her loyally duty in defending this highly compromised and supremely manipulative figure, and also finding out what happened to her parents, and by extension, the the Yanusian people, who had to endure decades of fear under the rule of this couple. So here to share her five rules of writing and anti-heroine, I'd like to welcome Freya Berry. Freya, hi.
1: Hi, Ed. It's great to be here. Thank you so much.
0: Well, congratulations on this most tremendous of debuts. Um, how is publishing a successful debut novel measured up to your expectations?
1: <laughs> um, well, I was quite careful never to let myself have any expectations of anything, including Uh, up to and including getting published full stop. So um, uh, yes, which also meant I was hideously unprepared for the whole process at the same time. So it's been, yeah, it's been great. It's been very busy um, uh, and hectic, but uh, every so often I do just sort of look at the book and think, yeah, I wrote that. So, uh, so that's nice too.
0: Well, congratulations. Now you're also a financial and political journalist. Mm -hmm. Did your job help in creating this figure of the dictator's wife?
1: Yes, hugely. So, um, so yeah, so I used to work at Reuters, um, uh, covering corporate mergers and acquisitions, uh, and um, which was just as fun as it sounds. And then I, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I, after a short stint covering Brexit, yeah, went on to the, the Daily Mail just to cover the US election. And so, um, and actually, weirdly, yeah, both of those jobs uh, fed into what became The Dictator's Wife, um, which does have a sort of financial strand running through it, but don't let that put you off. Um, uh, and I guess, yeah, watching the U.S. election in 2016 unfold uh, and watching uh, the Melania Trump and the sort of glamorous silence that surrounds her. She that was really what planted the seed for for, for my character of Maria Popper. Um, and uh, yeah, I sort of started working from that character and pulling in other strands from other sort of notorious or, or yeah famous or infamous um leaders wives and, and it sort of grew from there
0: okay uh it feels I mean I I met um uh, Melania once long before huh. obviously see that the uh she had, she had just become Donald Trump's girlfriend and we did a I lived in the United States at the time we did a shoot with her and she was she was just a fabulously wow. down-to-earth person I really liked her
1: wow something. wow She wasn't this
0: uh you know, figure who sort of hides behind a giant Jackie O sunglasses and scowls <laughs> at people. She was really lovely, very dangerous. Well,
1: I'd, I'd be interested, yeah, to know, yeah, how she compares in real life now. Um, how, yeah, being that close to power changes you, I suppose.
0: Um, Quite. That was, I mean, that was twenty years ago. But I mean, also your book, um, you know, it feels formidably authentic as a portrait of a post communist Eastern European ruling house. You know, do you do you have some Yanusian in your own industry?
1: <laughs> oh thank you very much. Um no actually um, uh, I uh, that I think that authenticity um came out of visiting Eastern Europe. Um obviously I couldn't visit Unisia except in my head but um uh, but I went to Romania um as well as Bosnia and uh the Czech Republic and several other countries for several months for research. Um and that was fascinating because it felt you know, if while obviously the country in the book is fictional, it felt important um to try and ground it in as much fact as possible. Um, particularly as, you know, 1989 is it, it's sort of very much set in that real life aftermath um of of, of the iron curtain coming down. So uh yeah, so I so I pitched up a Bucharest in uh the February of 2017, um, and actually inadvertently found myself in the middle of the largest protest they'd had since 1989. So um yeah, walked in um uh, my Airbnb host and I uh, headed straight out and um, put my bags down and headed straight out to join um, the protest. And, you know, we got tear gassed and all that kind of thing uh, on, on um, that night and successive nights. So it was very, it was a very dramatic way to by myself researching, researching the novel. Um, but, but, you know, sort of fascinating. And um, yeah, people were very, very kind in sharing their stories of life under communism with me, which really fed into that.
0: Into that okay. Novel. Yeah. I mean, that's quite a difficult uh, fragrance, isn't it? To, um, Mm. uh, Mm. from strong words magazine these are the five rules of writing so we're going to look at your five rules anyway of of, uh, creating an anti-heroine and she is a truly um extraordinary figure this uh, maria popper um your first rule Freya, you say, work out why you want an anti-hero rather than a straight villain hero. So tell me why you wanted to create one with your first novel and what your feelings are towards this woman, Maria Popper.
1: Mm, yeah, so um, so when I first set out to write the book, I kind of just thought of her as a straight villain, um, to be honest. Um, but then, you know, because she is, you know, sitting at the centre of this corrupt and, and, and fairly dreadful regime, as so many of these women do, um, so it's, you know, sort of a straightforward villain character. There's obviously no way that she could be a hero. Um, but then as I started writing, uh, I mean, the whole arc of the story is Laura being lured in uh, by this by this woman. And I realized I wanted the reader to be lured in as well. You have to be sort of in in Laura's position and just as sort of vulnerable um as uh, as she is just as sort of seducible I guess and um, so so I had to sort of start finding ways to make Maria sympathetic in some way and it felt too cheap to just say oh you know somehow sometimes she gives to charity so she's not all bad um you know I wanted wanted her to be a really uh ambiguous character and to play with the reader's emotions and spend a long time sort of calibrating how we feel about her at each stage of the book um and then it, also, when you, because, I, again, I base this on several real-life dictators' wives, so, you know, Asma al-Assad, Imelda Marcos, and, um, and so on. And obviously, while these women are pretty evil, if you um, read interviews with them or you watch interviews with them, they're very charming as well. Um, and so, and that's very, that, that dynamic is very fascinating to me, how we can be charmed by surfaces and glamour, um, which sort of conceals the darkness behind um mm. I actually you know melda marcus is, is terrible in every way but i i do kind of like her um, if you you know um, if you just separate everything that she is away from that um she she's very persuasive and um i feel that was fascinating
0: yes i mean that's something i'd like to talk about a little bit later but um ha- have you ever met anyone like uh, maria
1: a good question um no, I think it would be a fairly terrifying experience if I did. Um yeah, I I I I think there's something about very strong-willed people. Um I've met a couple of strong-willed people in my in in, in my time. Um uh yes, but I have never met anyone quite on that yeah, chilling, chilling but glamorous uh playing field. I think that would, yeah, yeah, I think the only people who are like that tend to be you know, people who become very great very terrible figures. So, yeah. Yes,
0: quite. I mean, are there, and are there any? You know, when you were planning your book, were there a, a great anti-heroines in literature that you would that you wanted to emulate, or who inspired you to try and create your own anti-heroines?
1: Yeah. So, um, so I've, I, I very much liked, um, you know, that I mean, the sort of classical mould of, uh, you know, um, Anna Karenina, Madame Bovary, and the sort of female anti-heroine. Um, Uh, way on a sort of smaller domestic scale, obviously. Um, I was very inspired by Lady Macbeth. Uh, I don't know if we can... I don't think she is a villain um, because, you know, by the end we feel... We do feel um, empathy for her, and I, I, but I actually really did struggle to find female anti-heroines, which I thought, you know, was was interesting. There's lots of male um, equivalents, you know, sort of talented Mister. Ripley types and so on, but to have um, a female template, yeah, I thought the um, uh, Lady Macbeth is probably the closest I could I could come, and I thought maybe that was a sign that it was time to <laughs> time to have another go. Uh, not that I'm comparing myself <laughs> at all with um, with Shakespeare, but um, uh, yeah, I think we don't allow women to be well, either women are straightforwardly wicked, or they're, or, or you know, they're sort of virginary types. And I wanted someone between the two poles.
0: Okay. Now, your second rule, for you say play with the reader's perceptions. Mm. Uh, how have you done this? What's your favourite trick?
1: Mm. Um, Well, I'm not very good at plotting um, or planning my books, shall I say. Uh, I sort of charge in and then uh, regret it later. (laughs) So (laughs) repent at leisure. Um, So what I found myself doing um, was uh, mapping very strictly when I wanted um, the reader to be sympathetic to Maria and when I wanted them to be unsettled by them. Um, And that kind of had to track most of the way through with how Laura was feeling um about Maria um so I literally did just my recommendation is yeah to just sort of sit down and work out um you know those precise moments in correspondence with the plot as to uh, as to when um you want them to be the heroine and when you want them to be the, the anti-heroine um yeah it, it takes a lot more scaffolding behind the scenes than than for someone who can just be straightforwardly wicked or straightforwardly good throughout
0: Right. One of the things that uh, I really liked about the book um, w- with regard to sort of playing with readers' perceptions is just how um, this sort of architecture of the palace and these official buildings where there are always these kind of doors that people just seem to appear from unnoticed. There's a whole secret garden. You know, there's this door that opens unexpectedly because they've these this old secret policeman has anticipated that she's going to be there. You know, is this... Was this a big part of your thinking? This almost sort of magic box uh, building that they're
1: on. Yeah, it's a, re- it's a really good point. Um, so, so I love you know I'm a big fan of say Daphne de Maurier and Rebecca. Um, another great auntie. or maybe she's just a villain actually. But um, uh, but you know that Manderley sense of um, you know the house almost being a character of its own. That claustrophobia, um, that sort of feeling of entrapment. So so I try to sort of yeah cre- create that sense, um, and that was fed also by the my time in Eastern Europe. So. You know, I went to visit the um, the le- leading couple of Romania, who were deposed in 1989. I went to visit their their Golden Palace. Um, I went to visit the Parliament, um, which is literally jaw dropping. It's the second largest administrative building in the world. Its scale is like seven <laughs> Buckingham Palaces piled on top of each other. It's extraordinary. So, um, so yeah. So I w- I did want that sense of. Um, uh, yeah, crossing over that liminal boundaries. Uh Puata, um, which is the name of the capital city, and that mean, means threshold. So um in Romanian. So I did want to have that, yeah, that 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 sense of not knowing um uh what's kind coming around the corner, what's gonna appear in the corner of your eyes.
0: Right. And Maria's she's very good at being in charge, isn't she? She you know, with the sort of slightest facial gesture or just a couple of words, it's very clear that she is. The boss she sets the tone she sets the atmosphere she's quite at home in this seat of power yet she claims she knew absolutely nothing of her husband's atrocities and I, I kind of find myself tempted to believe her you know <laughs> uh, because she's such a convincing character but how do you create this sense that she re that she radiates such power and danger
1: mm, yeah so so I partly based the novel on Amelda Marcus's trial in nineteen ninety in New York, um, where she was let off. She was, she was also tried for her husband's crimes. Um, he was dead by that point, Ferdinand, um, and she was let off. And uh, you know, sort of pleaded the case that she was just a housewife who didn't know where the money was coming from, um, which again is sort of is sort of difficult um, to believe. But that's the that's the dance that. The peculiarly female dance that um, these women are able to play um, you know playing off their femininity weaponizing it um, uh, because you know uh, we live in a world where yeah women are sort of uh, underestimated and they can exploit that Um, but yeah I I read a playwright I can't remember who it was now but who said there's nothing so fascinating as strong-willed people Um, and I really loved the idea of creating someone yeah who with a look and sort of chill, uh, chill any statesman at 20 paces. And um, so I really just had to, and I, I'm not very much not like, I in not life. I wish I was, um, but so I had to really sort of dig deep and think, uh, yeah, what would it be like to, to mold the world around you and to remake it at your will? Um, it's fascinating.
0: Yeah, she is, a, she is a human air conditioning unit, isn't she? She lowers the temperature um, instantly. Exactly. Very effective. So number three, rule three, hmm. Again, quite a difficult one, I think. You say find a way, a way for the reader to be yeah. on their side at, at times. Otherwise, you've just got a villain. Mm-hmm. How, how do you do this? How do you make somebody who, is, who has torture chambers in her basement likeable?
1: Yeah, it's the tough one. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, uh, well, as I say, I felt a bit glib to um, just say, "Oh, she gives to charity." Sometimes, um, for example, I mean, so so Maria in the book, she's come out of the Unicent uh, um, orphanage system, which is kind of parallel to the Romanian orphanage system, which is is notor- was was notoriously um, brutal. So I I needed to give her that. Um, uh yeah that sort of difficult backstory if she just come from wealth and privilege if she is eventually adopted by a wealthy family but she had she couldn't just come from you know a position of privilege that didn't feel like that would sort of get the reader on her, their side um at any point but um again i mean um uh, mao's wife for example chang ching she uh was so hungry when she was a child that it left her with lifelong stomach issues so there is a hunger to these Women, they often do come from 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 rags to to riches um, when they marry their their chosen husband. Um, it takes a certain drive and a certain um, yeah uh, hell bent focus on on, on survival um, uh, to to get into this position. So so in terms of making her likable, I had to give her that sort of insecurity, that 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 gap in her past, um, and then for her. Uh, for her present day, I mean, she did have the excuse of not actually being a dictator, which is her sort of superpower. She gets to have her cake and, and eat it. She gets to stand by her side, but not actually be in the room um, when she doesn't want to be. So um, so I just had to play with that, with the, with the readers, with what she was, what we felt that we could hold her comfortable for and what we would sort of, yeah, let her off for.
0: OK. I mean, you mentioned um, some of these real dictators' wives and researching them must have just been a... A dream, I think. Certainly, you know, mm. you know, yes. And but we, we kind of assume people like you know the Ceausescus or the Marcoses. They were, you know, they kind of were dreadful. But they also exist in people's minds as just a, a couple of fragments of information. You know, like the, you know, the shoe collection and the, mm. you know, this this story of the Ceausescus being the only. Foreign dignitaries that the Queen ever expressed an, expressed an opinion on, and you know, and just how or, you know, with by implication, just how awful they were. And mm. uh, but there's not actually an awful lot to go on there, is there? You know, if most people sat down and try, kind of wrote what they knew about the Marcuses or the Jajares, there wouldn't be an awful lot. So, you know, did you find the once you started looking into these people, did you find the reality very different and a bit more sympathetic than than when you started? <sighs>
1: Um I wouldn't say sympathetic. Um I think it was still pretty bad. Um but it is um yeah, it is interesting yeah, not just to sort of learn a bit more about them but also to consider that these are actual people not monsters or figures. Um they they sort of have their own internal lives. And actually just on the point of uh, what we think we know about a uh, the Marcuses, um the shoes is always the obvious one um and how brilliant is that you know rather than extrajudicial killings you think of um you think of shoes i mean what a pr what a pr stunned um uh pr triumph there And um, so uh so it was it was it was fascinating um, to to delve more into them. I mean, I read a, for example, a book called Red Horizons by a de- defecting general from the Chashskiy regime, which talks about the excess. Um, you know, the the they'd import food from twenty five different countries for a single banquet, for example. Um, uh, Elena would have a tantrum if she couldn't get hold of a super yacht or her black pearls or her mink stoles or whatever it was. Um, so uh so adding that those details in a lot of them, I just literally just lifted out of real life um uh real life examples and 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 put them in my own novel as examples of the the, the decadence there so now, I can't say I felt hugely sympathetic to them, but um you do need to create someone that's more than just a sort of paper yeah a paper villain or 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 or, or whatever, um yeah, fleshing them out and giving them that that those, those inner lives felt felt very important to do
0: mm-hmm. okay now your fourth rule on creating an anti-heroine you say plan how you want to leave the reader feeling at the end so I try to think well how did I feel at the end of this and so see if I see if I felt the correct way
1: oh, tell me, but, yeah. uh,
0: so some of the things one of the things I felt was exhausted obviously not you know I, I still had in not you know that I had to lie down but just the sense that there are you know the kind of forces at work here that are just too great for a for a happy future to have to just emerge. You know, the terrible things that people did are, are going to be around for generations. You know, this mm. is very uh sort of a drain, a sense that you know, this country just can't escape from its you know what's happened in, in recent years. So that was one thing. and uh I also felt that, that Maria is just a completely different category of person to most people, you know, her survival skills and her mastery of other people puts her in a league of her own and then the other thing i thought i've just got to get it into my head that when i see highly paid lawyers appear in a book or a film i've got to stop thinking that this is this kind of means that justice is coming you know and more (laughs) i've got to look at you know look at who's paying them that's the thing i think to that's really important with when lawyers appear in fiction um
1: yeah, they
0: promise justice, but they you, you know they're, they're working for somebody else, so anyway, those I suppose those were three things that I just jotted down very quickly. Yeah,
1: exactly did I feel much. the right? No, thing? I, think those, I think those are the right, those are very much the right things. So, <laughs> so, thumbs up there, so thank you. Um, yeah, I think on the um, on the point about the sort of country um being swallowed or or continue trying to escape its past, um, you know, I i, I hesitate to make too much um, of of a connection with Ukraine because it's not somewhere I've ever visited or or or, 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 or know um, anything more about than 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 everyone else. But um, uh, you know that is a country that is was trying to or has been trying to remake itself and, and and escape its past. And 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 you know the last couple of weeks have shown that you know certain other actors are very unwilling to let them do so. Um, so I think it's a you know, it's the perennial issue of how countries are molded and remolded and, and, um, it's sort of too glib to, to, and a happy ending for, for the country in my novel just felt too glib and too easy because, you know, communism in Eastern Europe cast a long shadow and there are people in Romania now who I talked to who said, we don't know if 1989 was a revolution or a coup. Um, uh, and the protests, indeed, that I attended were um, against the newly elected um, descendants of that same Communist Party who had been overthrown, you know, sort of 30 years previously. So, yes, the past is a way of, of, of hanging around and clinging to us. Um, and then, um, uh, sorry, you're going to have to remind me of your, your second point. Um, well, my second
0: point was about <laughs> Maria and just how she is just a completely different category mm, of individuals, mm. you know, her... Her um, ability to, you know, she she displays this uh, tremendous tenacity. She knows exactly what she's go- got to do to survive. She is a m- absolute master manipulator of other people. You know, she just knows instantly where people's weaknesses are and how to put her beautifully manicured finger on that sort of weak <laughs> to get them to do, you know, to to do her bidding. Um,
1: exactly. Uh, so
0: yes, that was uh, that was my feeling yeah.
1: No, exactly. And I, I mean, I don't know if I go so far as to use the word sociopath, but I did read um, uh, a book called Confessions of a Sociopath, which uh, which which I would recommend as a way to um, sort of help my perspective on her, um, you know, someone who sees the world in terms of its mechanics, not in terms of its, um, you know, sort of emotional significance or right, right and wrong. Um, amoral people are I think their way is it, to cut through the world is made much easier for them because they don't have to ever consider um, what they're doing to everyone else. Um, so, um, so it was very interesting to sort of put myself in, in in behind the eyes of someone who would be like that. I mean, the world felt a lot of a, a, a lot freer as a place, I have to say. Um, uh, and then, yeah, on, on your on your point about um, the lawyers, yeah, I think everyone right now is thinking actually, where does money come from, and where do rich people sort yes. of get their get um, get get their reserves um i mean as a financial journalist you know i um had an interesting time um interviewing you know a couple of billionaires and and speaking to um corporations and ceos of say mining corporations who i knew were tearing up you know various bits of um you know east asia for example and they were always very charming and very nice um and you just sort of start to see the world in gradual shades of gray rather than the black and whites um uh, that, that that is so lulling to to see it by.
0: Yes, quite, and your fifth rule, um which kind of speaks to that again, you said don't be afraid of ambiguity, you know, and as you as you've just said, you know ambiguities can the, the, you know these people can be quite charming even with their you know quite violent and cruel associations, you know the the presidential palaces that are all you know baroque splendor on the outside and torture chambers in the basement, these kind of things. It was this very much a you know, how you envisaged, um, you know, you wanted Maria to embody all these characteristics without ever really, you know, sort of coming down on one side or another. It's quite easy to be both things.
1: Exactly. Um, I mean, it's you know uh we live in a con- increasingly politically polarized world um and yes there are some things which are um unequivocally bad um but um but just sort of condemning them as such is 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 not a very helpful way of uh, sometimes of 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 looking at it um you know i think it's novelists um as as a whole i guess we you know you're trying to understand what makes people do the things that they do um and uh you know, what are the steps that make you end up somewhere absolutely absurd or, or or awful? um and I think we've all got incidents in our life where we end up doing something we you think, how did I get here um I, I I certainly I certainly do um and so so yeah, it was about yeah analyzing the million steps to 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 the cliff edge um and and playing with the reader's emotions on the way. I mean, I think I say in the book that she she dances on the shard of your doubt um. Uh, and that is is just how I wanted. Um, I wanted it. Um, at the same time, I mean, I'm almost. I'm also a really good fan, a really big fan of 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 a solid ending. I don't like books that sort of dribble out. Um. So so it was something I had to work quite hard at to give an ending. I wasn't happy and wasn't sad, but but was somehow conclusive and yet yeah, sort of sort of neither. Um, that ambiguity had to be
0: right. I mean, I guess you also had to kind of debrief a lot of old communists. You no. Know, <laughs> in eastern europe and who are the you know they they are living ambiguities you know mm. servants of one very you know loyal servants of a very fierce regime and now mm. something else
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's interesting, you know. There's a lot of nostalgia around communism um, in, in in Eastern Europe, um, even in East Germany. You know, they have the the traffic lights, Ampelmann. Um, it's called a little green red man on there on on their pedestrian crossings, and you know they were meant to change them out, and people were very got very protective over them and said they wanted to keep them. So, um, and particularly, actually, um, uh, you know, the young are free to be more condemning, uh, condemning of communism, but the older people who actually live lived through it so are often you know, they, the, the ones that I spoke to, um, uh, you know, while having had obviously very difficult experiences, um, so m- many of them said actually, you know, it was kind of nice to have a certainty, you know, everyone had a job and fine, no one earned any money, but, you know, you sort of knew where you were, you knew you weren't going to advance anyway, it removed the uncertainty and the sort of rat race of capitalism. And I think people found some comfort in that, um, despite obviously many other difficult conditions.
0: Yes, quite. Yeah. Um- and obviously that the whole you know big part of the big theme of the story is that uh, it's building to this trial um which the lawyers are supposedly there to defend her against the to, against the indefensible if you were you know if you were sat on the jury I mean, you don't 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 need to reveal the result of the outcome of the trial but if you'd been sat on the jury what how, how would you have voted guilty or not guilty
1: well, I like to think that I'd have seen um, through her, uh, I think, um, uh, that I would not be swayed by uh, things like charm and, um, uh, you know, charisma. But the truth is, we all tend to be to an extent and you know for example if I've ever met a famous person I've been you know disgustingly starstruck um and and afterwards think what was they doing just jabbering um jabbering inanely at them um so so we we, we all like to think of ourselves as rational human beings that's what's so interesting about it we we like to think that we we make uh choices based on evidence and um yeah rationality but actually we are animals who are just who are alarmingly susceptible to um to appearances for example quite
0: quite that's i think that's exactly it i think if i were in that jury box you know whatever the evidence were that mixture of formidable lawyers and this uh awesomely manipulative uh and beautifully turned out individual uh, i i'm sure i would have would have pressed the not guilty button. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs>
1: well, it's, it's good to know because exactly. Um, yeah, it's 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 yeah. We're not as clever as we think we are. I think.
0: <laughs> quite, quite. And uh, now I'm going to ask you my two uh, my two novelists. Uh, just my two writer questions that I ask everybody. If you, uh, what do you, uh, Freya? What do you consider to be a, um, a you know a good day's work for a novelist in terms of number of words? What's what do you, what's um,
1: oh brutal um, so um if i'm writing a first draft then I, I i like to sort of play the frog in the hot water um uh, with myself i you sort to of start off um at a, a certain reasonable temperature and then you sort of gradually turn up the heat without yourself noticing is the idea um so i'll start off writing maybe Five hundred words a day, and then I'll gradually ratchet myself up as my deadline nears to about two thousand, um, which is extremely exhausting, and I'm not fun to be around during
0: that time. So okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. And the other, my other question is, uh, where do you stand on the the uh, this this um, point of um, the one thing that almost all ca- all writers have in common is that uh, writers hate writing. Where do you stand on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, I always think, you know, it's very easy to make, oh, we've got the hardest job in the world. And then you think, well, actually, I could be, you know, probably wouldn't say that to a coal miner. Uh, so um, it's yeah. Uh, what did I read the other day? Someone's saying um, writing is like reading, except the book is trying to kill you. Um, I mean, it is, a difficult, it, is, it is difficult. I don't want to make it sound like it's. Um, you know, like, like I'm doing sort of prizeworthy uh, bravery over here, <laughs> but, um, it is very draining because you're taking out of yourself and you're taking out of yourself, um, and you are putting things onto a previously, uh, intimidatingly blank page. Um, and it does take something out of you. It takes that, um, you know, to constantly be putting yourself behind someone else's eyes is an exhausting, um, thing. So, so I, I, I do this because I'm not, you know, I don't think anyone writes because or manages to sustain being a writer if they hate it, uh, sincerely. Um, but, um, and, and I do love it and I do have moments where, where I think this is God, I would, I, I, I absolutely, um, uh, love what I'm doing. Uh, but those are, you know, flashes, uh, brief flashes amid <laughs> you know, sheer bloody mindedness, which I think is actually 90% of writing. Right. <laughs> um, it's just keep, just keeping going. Um, yeah. Cause the tough going is always tough
0: really. Brilliant. Freya, thank you so much for talking to me. And I I, I urge everybody listening to this to stop what they're doing immediately and go and buy (laughs) The Dictator's Wife and then having bought it, read it and uh, (laughs) bathe in its wonders. It's an absolutely fabulous novel and um, uh, I hope it finds the gigantic audience it deserves. Freya, thank thank you. you so much.
1: Thank you so much, Ed. Thanks again.
0: From Strong Words magazine, these are the five rules of writing.